All right. We're in Acts chapter 16. We finally made it through Acts chapter 15. And today I want to look at Acts chapter 16 in the first two verses. So I'm just going to read those right now and then I'm going to talk just a minute to the kids and then we're going to all talk. Young and not as young. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you know us by name. We thank you that you use everything in our lives to mold us, to shape us, and to make us who you have created us and called us to be. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for the witness you privilege us to give to that name. Father, we pray these things to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So kids, did you hear what the Bible said? It says, talking about the Apostle Paul, he came to Derby and Lystra. Those were two cities. And it says, behold, a certain disciple was there by the name of Timothy. So the Bible calls Timothy by name. The Bible calls a lot of people by name. And we might read the Bible and think sometimes that those people in the Bible were really special people who had really special talents or they did something really extraordinary that made God notice them and so God put them in the Bible. But that's not really how it works. Do you know that Timothy was just like any one of us? He was just a person. He was a young man. When Paul met him, he was a young man. Now, he might have been a little older than than you guys, But he was what we would consider to be a young man. And he didn't grow up in an extraordinary family. He didn't grow up doing extraordinary things. He was just a regular boy. Just like you are regular boys and regular girls. But the Bible says there was a certain disciple there named Timothy. And what that tells us is even though we're just regular people living regular lives, and our names probably will never be written in a history book, they certainly won't be written in the Bible, because the Bible's already written, right? Even though we're just regular people, God knows us by name. Did you know that? God knows your name. He knows you. He knows everything about you because he created you. He sees you. He's aware of you. He knows everything that happens to you, the good things and the bad things. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you're happy. He knows everything because he's God. And today we're going to look at Timothy 
and how Timothy met Paul and what that encounter meant for Timothy's life. And you know, Timothy was a little boy like many of you little boys are. And you know, Timothy had a grandmother and a mother, the Bible tells us, and that grandmother and that mother were at one time little girls like you little girls are. And there was a time in all of their lives, there was a time in Timothy's life where he couldn't see and he didn't have any clue what was going to happen to him. But God knew. Just like you don't know what's going to happen to you, but God knows. And sometimes you might think, nobody knows my name, nobody cares about me, but I promise you, God knows your name. And God cares about you and a lot of other people besides God. So don't ever think that God doesn't see. Don't ever think that God doesn't know because he sees and he knows everything. In fact, God knows you by name. You are certain to God, just like the Bible says there was a certain disciple named Timothy. God knows there are certain little boys and certain little girls just like he knows there are certain big boys and big girls. He knows us. He knows you. He knows us by name. And he knows everything about us, past, present, and future. And you know what that is? That's good news. That's good news. And we should rest in that and take comfort in that. Amen? That's true for the little and the big among us, the old and the young. So in Acts chapter 16, as we come to Acts chapter 16, as we leave Acts chapter 15, we see that Paul and the disciples came back from Jerusalem. They delivered this decree, and then they stayed there for a while. Eventually, the crew from Jerusalem went back to Jerusalem, except for Silas. Silas stayed there and actually went on the second missionary journey with Paul. And that's the journey that uh, we're going to uh, look at today, we're going to begin to look at. It's what we call Paul's second missionary journey. And in this second missionary journey, Paul was traveling back through those areas and to those churches that him and Barnabas planted in his first missionary journey. Paul was going back to check on those churches. And it was in this context that Paul uh, meets Timothy. Timothy is introduced to us in Acts chapter 16. And I wanted to take some time and just talk a little bit about Timothy because I think Timothy represents us in so many ways. Like I told the children, Timothy wasn't special. He was very regular. In fact, we're going to look at some things about Timothy Timothy, that uh, I think a lot of people today could identify with. So in verse 1 of Acts chapter 16, that says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. Then verse 2 tells us that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy was known, and his family was known by the brethren. 
So verse 1 tells us that Timothy was already a disciple. He was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was a Greek. And what that means is that his mother was a follower of Jesus, but his father was not. His father was an unbeliever. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about his father, just that he was a Greek. In other words, he wasn't a Jew, and he more than likely was not a believer because it doesn't talk about his faith. It talks about Timothy's mother's faith. And we're going to see later on, Paul is going to write even more detail when he writes a letter to Timothy. Paul knew this family very well. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul describes Timothy as his son in the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Timothy, a true son in the faith. So, Timothy was not Paul's biological son. He was Paul's spiritual son, which tells us either Timothy's dad, who was a Greek, might not have been alive, and maybe that's why he wasn't an influence in Timothy's life, or he wasn't a believer, and that's why he was not a spiritual influence in Timothy's life. And so Paul took Timothy and became a father to him and raised him up in the Lord. Paul gives us even more detail in his second letter written to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This letter was written toward the end of Paul's life while Paul was in prison. And Paul, is, Paul knows he's getting ready to depart. And he's writing this letter to Timothy, who is now a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy of things that, that he does not want Timothy to forget. And Paul writes in verses 5 and 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So at some point, Paul indicates in these two verses here that he ordained Timothy into the ministry. And he indicates that the faith that Timothy had was a faith that came from Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother. It doesn't tell us a lot about them. In fact, this is what we, more, really what we know about them. In Acts chapter 16, Luke is the writer, and Luke tells us that there was a disciple, a certain disciple of a certain Jewish woman who was also a believer. But Paul fills in more gaps as he writes this letter to Timothy. And we see that Timothy's faith came from his grandmother and his mother. More than likely, Paul met the family during the first missionary journey. Lois, Timothy's grandmother, was in the faith. He says, 
that, that faith, the same faith that dwelt in you, dwelt in your grandmother, Lois. Timothy's mother was a believer in Christ. And it appears that Timothy was raised in the faith as a result of his mother and his grandmother. That's not an uncommon thing that we see in our culture today. We talk about the fatherless generation. We talk about the number of children. Over 33% of children born in homes, fatherless homes. Fathers are not present on a regular basis in their children's homes. And we see this very often that mothers and grandmothers are raising their children. And what you see is that this is not necessarily a new phenomenon. Now, Timothy's earthly dad might have been there, but he was not the spiritual influence in Timothy's life. It was his grandmother and his mother that were the spiritual influence. That's not the way it should be. I mean, grandmothers and mothers should be, but so should fathers. So dads, it's not the responsibility of grandmothers and mothers to raise your children spiritually. It's your responsibility. In fact, it's all of our responsibility. It is the responsibility of the entire family, the immediate biological family and the extended family. So we all bear that responsibility, but I want you to see that this is not presented as a handicap for Timothy at all. Paul is just stating facts. Paul is reminding Timothy of his roots, of his spiritual roots. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, you got where you are because of where you came from. And this is true for us all. Paul's first missionary journey may have seen the conversion of Timothy's heart. In other words, Timothy may have been raised in the faith by his grandmother and his mother, but it appears something happened when Paul encountered Timothy or Timothy encountered Paul during that first missionary journey. And if that was not the conversion of Timothy's heart, then at the very least, something extremely impactful happened to Timothy when he encountered the Apostle Paul at that first missionary journey. Through the preaching of the gospel and through the things Timothy witnessed and experienced. Timothy was known and well spoken of by the brethren in that region. This is what is said of him after that first missionary journey. Paul is getting ready to go back. He's obviously had ongoing correspondence with these churches. And Paul, it shows us in chapter 16, that Paul chose Timothy to go with him as he continues his missionary journey. We'll talk more about that next week. But right now, I want to focus on this reality that God uses our experiences to shape us. He certainly did that with Timothy. And he certainly does that with all of us. In his first missionary journey at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel. We see this in chapter 14 of Acts. They preached the gospel and they healed a lame man there in Lystra. And it created such a stir, the people thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods that had come down from heaven. Remember that? They called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Mercury because Paul was the spokesman. 
And, and it created this great uproar in the city. And Paul and Barnabas are desperately trying to get them to not worship them. And don't sacrifice this bull to us because we are just men like you. And the people eventually turned on Paul and Barnabas with the persuasion from the Jews from the other communities. In fact, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 21, record this for us. It says, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You get the picture? The crowd turns on Paul, and they stone him to death, or so they thought. Or perhaps he was. And they drag his dead body outside of the city and leave him there on the road for dead. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, it doesn't say, but we, I think, can safely assume when the disciples gathered around him, they probably were praying because they probably thought that Paul was dead. And whatever they did, God raised Paul up. And we might say, well, he wasn't really dead. You know, he's probably just knocked out. I don't think we really understand what stonings meant back in that day. They, they didn't throw little rocks at you. They threw rocks big enough to kill you. And they didn't just throw one rock at you. When you had a mob that was that enraged, they were all grabbing rocks and they were all throwing them at you until your lifeless body lay there buried under those rocks. We actually saw this in graphic detail, if you remember from a few years ago, when Gatana had been in Somalia teaching pastors or in Kenya teaching pastors, Somali pastors, equipping them to go and evangelize in Somalia. And two weeks after that time that he was there teaching those pastors, there was a Somali pastor two weeks after his time in Kenya with Gitana. That Somali pastor was, was gathered up by the Muslim leaders of that community that he lived in and told to recant his belief in Christ, or die. And they buried him waist deep in the earth, and he refused to recant, and they stoned him to death. And there was a, a brother there who had secretly recorded the entire episode with his cell phone. And they got word back to the church in Kenya so that they could help the family, the wife and the the children that remained after this brother was, was killed. So when it says that they dragged Paul's body outside of the city, I want you to understand that when Paul rose up and went back in the city, this was not just a, a, a light thing that had happened to him. It is more than likely that Paul was raised up by the Lord. And what did Paul do? He went back into the city and the next day he departed to Derby. And what did he do in Derby? He preached the gospel. More than likely, Timothy was witness to these events described in Paul's first journey through Lystra. Timothy may have been one of the very ones gathered around Paul after he was left for dead from his stoning. 
These events may be some of the things that Paul refers to in his later epistle that he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Paul writes, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul written to Pastor Timothy as an encouragement to him to keep fighting the good fight of faith. The preaching of the gospel and the witness of the apostles under persecution evidently made a significant impact on Timothy. God used those experiences to mold and to shape Timothy for the work God had already prepared him for before the foundation of the world. And like Timothy, God is using our own experiences, our situations, our circumstances to prepare us for what he has purposed for us, things we cannot now see or even imagine. Just as Timothy as a little boy growing up with a faithful grandmother and a faithful mother and an unbelieving father could not imagine what God would do with his life. God is using all, everything you may be experiencing right now, certainly all of the personal challenges you may be facing. He is also using the things happening around us, COVID-19, pandemics, civil unrest, division in our nation, controversy surrounding elections and our nation's future. All the things we're bombarded with regularly through the media. God is using all things to bring about His purpose in our life. But most importantly, I want you to hear me, in the life of His church... We have a very bad habit of separating our life, our faith, our relationship with Jesus from that of the church, and we cannot do that. We say this constantly. We preach it and we teach it, that Christ is sovereign over all things. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. The Father has given to him all authority in heaven and on earth. Nothing, let me say that again, nothing is outside the Father's knowledge or will, not even the murder of his own son. That is something we need to think about. When we consider the things that happen to us and around us, and we want to ask, where is God in all of this? We need to remember that God was right there at the murder of his son. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles recount this and they proclaim and praise to God that those men only did what was already purposed to be done by you, God. The sovereign Lord has a purpose in all things. 
Think about these words of Jesus recorded for us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? That copper coin there, uh, which is sometimes translated a farthing, it, it, it is... It is the smallest. It's, it's, it's such an insignificant amount of money. I want you to understand this. This copper coin is not some coin of great value. This is a very, very small value. And not one of those sparrows falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of most value than many sparrows. Think about Jesus in this statement. He uses the most common, small, and seemingly insignificant bird and amount of money. This is what Jesus chooses to reveal to us the sovereignty of God. In other words, there's not anything, it doesn't matter how small, how seemingly insignificant that it is, that is outside the purview of God. That falls or happens without his knowledge, apart from his will. Think of all the things that we don't pay attention to every day. Think of all the things that pass us by or we pass by that we don't even give thought to. Those aren't the things that keep us awake at night. Those aren't the things that cause us to question, what, God, what are you doing? It's not those things. It's the big things. It's the things that impact our careers. It's the things that impact our families. It's the things that impact our future. It's the things that we can't answer. It's the things that we can't understand. It's the things that we can't wrap our head or our hands around to fix ourselves. But yet, that's not what Jesus shows us right here. Jesus takes the most insignificant thing, the most common thing, the things that we would just walk by every day and not give a thought to. And Jesus says, not even those things happen apart from your Father's will. There's not anything, no matter how great, no matter how insignificant it is, that is outside of God's knowledge and God's sovereignty. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap. Think of dice. But it's every decision is from the Lord. I took statistics when I was in school. I hated it. But you know, you would take statistics, and this is why. If you roll the dice 15 times, what is the statistical probability that it's going to come up, you know, double, double aces, double snake eyes? What's the probability that you'll get two sevens Every time you roll the dice. I, I don't know the answer to that. But I know who determines how many times that's going to happen. Because the Bible tells me. God does. So I don't have to know the statistical probability. This is my perspective. I just need to know God. I don't need to know how many times it's going to happen. I just need to know 
who's in control of how many times it's going to happen. So I don't put my trust in statistics. I put my trust in God. God is in control of all things, even the smallest and most random of events. God is in control even when we cannot see or when we cannot sense his control. This is our faith. It is the substance of all we hope for in the midst of all we cannot see. Faith is the evidence of the things not seen, but the things we know are true. Our testimony is centered in our faith. It is our faith that gives witness and testimony to Christ. Don't let the small things you may be tempted to think are big things degrade or weaken your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. There are big things that happen. There are tragic things that happen. But it is the little things that ultimately will determine how we're going to handle those big things. It's the daily things that we need to pay attention to, just like God does. Daily we walk by faith and not by sight. Think about what Timothy witnessed in the Apostle Paul that impacted his faith. Paul preaching the gospel. Paul being mobbed by the crowd, stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Timothy may well have been one of the disciples gathered around that lifeless body of Paul outside the city when he arose and went right back into that city. And then he departed the next day and continued preaching the gospel in faith and love without fear. What faith? Yes. Yes, what faith? What supernatural power? The power of God that raised him up. But what faith demonstrated by the apostle? And how? Because he was so courageous? Because he was so strong? Because he was something that we're not? Because he possessed some Character, some inner strength that you and I don't have? No. Paul, in his own description of himself, said, I am the chief among sinners. I am the least among all the apostles. I didn't come to you in power, with eloquence of speech and worldly wisdom. I came to you in fear and in trembling. There was nothing about me, Paul said, that, that, that should have given you a reason to listen to me or to want to listen to me. Everything about me and my demeanor spoke the opposite. But he says, I came to you in the power of God. And when I say that, I don't, I don't think Paul means I came to you doing miracles and magic tricks that got your attention. That's not what Paul means. Paul is saying, I came to you in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. In other words, I, just like he says, I am who I am by the grace of God. How was Paul able to do what he did the same way you and I are able to do what we do by the grace of God? Paul didn't possess 
a greater measure of the Spirit or a different Jesus than you and I possess? Paul didn't have a different Holy Spirit poured into him that you have poured into you or I have poured into me. Paul didn't have a different scripture than you have or I have. Paul had the same God, the same word, the same spirit living in him. In fact, he describes it this way in Romans. He says the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the very same spirit that dwells in you and will strengthen your mortal body. It was by the grace of God. This is what Timothy witnessed when he witnessed those things. And his faith was impacted. God used even those brutal experiences in the life of the Apostle Paul to witness to Timothy and to build his faith. But it wasn't just the brutal experiences. It was the daily faithfulness. Paul wasn't just there one day and left. Paul was there for a while. And Paul, everywhere he went, demonstrated faithfulness, not in the big things, but in everything, in the small things. But not only for Timothy, but for countless others through history. Even us today, we are still being impacted. We are still being encouraged. We are still being shaped by the experiences of the Apostle Paul. By Timothy's own life. Our faith is built up by those things recorded for us in Scripture. That's why they are recorded as the Word of God for a witness to us. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. God uses all things, great and small, to shape us. God uses things past, He uses things present, and He has future things in store that we don't even know about right now. But He does. God used all things in Timothy's life, a faithful grandmother, a faithful mother, and even a faithless father. We don't know what happened to Timothy's earthly father, but we know that Paul became his spiritual father. We know that Timothy would not have been born apart from his father, his earthly father. You see, through the record of Timothy's faith, God was working generations upstream of Timothy's birth. His grandmother, his faithful grandmother. A faithful grandmother, a faithful mother, and even a faithless father. We see God working. God did not begin working in Timothy when he met Paul. God had already prepared Timothy for when he would meet Paul. And Paul would meet him. You and I don't know who God has already prepared us to meet. We don't know what God has already prepared us to do. We don't know what God is working in our circumstances right now. Preparing us right now. We don't know how God is working and what he's preparing us for. But he is. This is how God is working now in us and through us. What we do today will impact not only today, but tomorrow. What we do presently in our generation will impact future generations. There are no throwaway generations. There are no throwaway days. God uses every last thing down to the last day of our life. I believe that with all my heart.
think about when my mother passed away. I was with her and I watched her. I watched her breath leave her body. And I know that God used that very last moment of her life. He used it for his purpose. He used it in me. He used it in her. There are no insignificant moments. There are no insignificant days. God is shaping the generations to come through us right now. God is using us and working in us now for what he has purposed in the future. Your life matters, but your faith matters more. Do you hear me? Your life matters, but your faith matters more than your life. Paul was willing to give up his life in faith because he knew that his faith mattered more than his life mattered. As we survey the landscape, we must survey our faith. Is our faith in God or is it in what we can see and what we can understand presently in us and in our world? Our faith must be in God. We are in a spiritual battle that will last until Jesus returns. You do realize this, right? What Satan and man mean for evil, God means for good and for glory. The death of Jesus is the greatest testament to this. This is why no matter what, we have hope in God and in the victory already won for us in Jesus Christ. If God can take the most tragic event bar none ever, past, present, or future, the murder of his very own son, if he can take that most tragic event ever, and save the world with it, then there is nothing God cannot use in our life and through our life to bring about his good purpose and his glory. We may not have eyes to see it now. We may not understand it now. We may certainly not know the reason why. But we have the promise from God that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. There are some who consider this verse a cop-out for a lack of faith. That could not be farther from the truth. This verse is rooted in faith. You cannot believe it. You cannot accept it apart from faith. To know the sweetness of God and the hope we have in Christ in the reality of a bitter situation in the face of, of unspeakable and unimaginable tragedy to know the sweetness and the goodness of God requires faith. If you haven't noticed, we can't make our tragedies go away just because we want them to go away or because we name or claim for them to go away. Because of God's unfailing love, we can be thankful in all things and we can be thankful for all things. 
Because of his love for us in Christ, we can know God is working all things for good and for glory. It says that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. This is a testimony, not only to Timothy's faith, but the faith of his mother and of his grandmother. Since Timothy's dad was an unbeliever, it was the faith of that mother and grandmother that God used to guide and to prepare Timothy. God is using your faith today to guide and to prepare others for his plan and for his purpose in their lives and in your own. Parents, God is using your faith in your children but this is not only true for parents of children, it's true for us all. God is using our faith in the lives of those around us in ways we may be aware of and in ways we may not be aware of. But know that God is using your faith. Just as God used Paul's life to impact Timothy, God is using your life to impact those around you and those God connects you with for short or for longer periods of time. God always works on a two-way street. As God uses you to impact others, God is using them to impact you. Don't ever forget that. We most definitely see this with parents and children. God does not only use parents to mold children, God uses children to mold parents. Should get an amen there. We are constantly being molded and shaped by the potter. We are the clay that he is fashioning for his purpose. He uses us. He uses every kind of means we can imagine to mold us into the vessel that he has purposed to make us. We have a destiny in Christ. As the song goes, it is Jesus who commands our destiny. In Christ, we can be sure it is good. Our destiny in him is good. Like Paul and Timothy, we may endure all manner of hardship and suffering, but not without hope. We have quoted Romans 8:28, but that is not the end of Paul's thought there. It's not the end of the story. Here are the words of promise and hope we all have been given in Christ. Listen, Romans 8:28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called. These he also justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. Notice the past tense language of this verse. These are not things that might happen if we play our cards right in this life. These are things promised and already accomplished for us in Christ. Not by our works, but by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The finished work of the ascended Lord, 
who took the blood of his sacrifice and it was accepted by the Father. And he appeared again apart from death for salvation in the resurrection. These are the things promised and already accomplished for us in Christ by the finished work of Christ. God is working and using all things according to his purpose to bring us to glory. Our destiny in Christ is glory. Think about Timothy, that little boy growing up who had no clue what God had planned for his life. But God's destiny for Timothy was glory. And God's destiny for each one of us in Christ is the same. It is glory. And all the glory be to the Son. Amen? Amen. We celebrate and we thank God for his promise of glory each week at this table. So I want to invite you to prepare your hearts to come to this table. It's a table of thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. We live for his glory. We were created for his glory. We endure, we suffer, we rejoice, and we revel in his joy. And we do it all for his glory. As you trust in Jesus, come to this table. Let's all stand. Life is filled with questions. Seems like more and more, we have more and more questions about the things that we see and the things that we experience. It's not a sin to question why. It is a sin, though, to despise God for the things that happen to us or the things that we can't answer or the things we want answers to. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And that inherently means we will not always see what, what or how we would like to see. Faith requires more than seeing. Faith requires believing. Faith is trusting. Walk by faith. Believe and trust God. Obey Him by faith. Resist the temptation to live your life based on what you can see and what you can know. Thank God for all the ways that he is molding and shaping you and all of us. He is not only working in your personal life. You are a member of the body, one of his called out ones. God is working in you personally because he is working in his church. We do not exist alone or in our little families apart from everyone and everything else. We seek we seek to be used by God to live for His glory, not just singly, not just personally, but corporately. We are made to be a functioning part of Christ's body, and nobody can function without all the parts supplying what the others need. We do, we do that connected to one another in life, just like our 
physical bodies do. Pleasant life, joyful life, but also in the bitterness of life, in the painfulness of life, in the brutality of life. We are the church. We are individual members of the whole, being molded and shaped by a Savior and Creator. You are destined for glory, so glorify Him with all you are and all you have until you have no more. Then He will resurrect you and send you forward for more of His glory. Amen.